the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Planted with Sarah. I'm Sarah Pine, your host. And today we have out of Philly, say hi to Abi. She is the founder and CEO of Black Dragon Breakfast Club, a community organization focused on platforming, positioning women of color in positions of leadership and expertise and enterprise. I was going to say expertise, but that goes along with it within the cannabis industry. I'm really excited to have you here today. And I just, you know, we had a little chat before we started recording. I just feel like there's we got a lot to talk about today and I don't know if we're gonna have time to cover everything <laughs> but I'm really excited to dig into it with you so welcome to the show thank you so much thank you thank you so much I'm glad to be here now my first question is going to be you know a little bit before getting involved in the industry but um, I always like to ask it of all my guests what was your first cannabis experience Hmm. <clears throat> well, I'm going to call, I'm going to say the first cannabis experience was me finding my mom's cannabis and throwing it in the toilet. Oh, no. Um, I... <laughs> <laughs> Were you a dare um, kid? Yeah, exactly. I was. I, I basically was. I didn't know anything about it. I didn't understand what was going on. And when my mom was checking the oil in the basement, apparently you don't need to check the oil in the basement in the summer. Um. <laughs> Those are the things that were going on. So I, I had elders who were who were consuming, but I never saw it. And I actually had a friend of mine who told me, you know what they're doing. Um, and so then, you know, I go policing. Oh, let me go find it. Throw it in the trash. <laughs> That's like the earliest, the earliest time. And I say that because of who I am now and, you know, just my parents even and, and their relationship with cannabis. It's interesting how much I didn't know. Um, as as a, a, a young person. You were a union organizer before you got <laughs> into cannabis. What? How'd you do? What happened to make, have you make the leap? Like what, what, what came into play where you're like, cannabis sounds like a good idea and I want to get into this mess? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I was, I've been a union organizer since I graduated college. I, I studied ethnic studies and I took a social movements class and the political director spoke in that class. And in that class, I learned about why there were Koreans in Hawaii because they were originally brought over to be scabs during uh, a union fight. <laughs> Damn, wow. and, um, and that was interesting because I wanted to understand how people got to Hawaii because Hawaii is for Hawaii. Well, why are there Koreans in Hawaii? It's such strong groups. And that's just one example. I don't mean to single out Korea in that way. But I said that all to say that class, social movements, impacted me a lot because it was learning about folks in a tough situation and fighting out of it and improving conditions. And it was fairly recent. And so I felt a little bit closer to it than perhaps like, you know, the American, you know, slave history. Uh, so when I graduated and I saw that there was a job available, I took it. And so I say all that to say because I think the work of an organizer, labor organizer, union organizer is the exact type of like skills and work you do in the cannabis industry if you care about advocacy. Um, so I think it was a pretty simple transition. But the, the main, I think, catalyst was having the opportunity to live on a cannabis farm in California after I had worked my union job, my first union job, and had a pretty actually traumatizing experience from that. And I chose to go to a cannabis farm for solace, for 
for just free. I don't know, peace, peace, peace. I wanted some peace. And then fast forward, I ended up coming back to Philadelphia. And again, I found myself requiring peace, needing peace. And cannabis was something that was helping me. Um, and then I went to a conference, a cannabis conference, and I saw there was an opportunity. There were no black people and there were barely any people there. And I connected the dots and said, okay, I need a community myself. And I'm walking away from being ashamed of my cannabis consumption and being kind of this person on the outskirts of society. And no, I'm, I, I belong right in the middle and there's nothing wrong with my cannabis consumption. And that kind of started my journey at Black Dragon Breakfast Club. Now, as a black woman in the space, and you're talking about, you know, being, embracing your cannabis use, did you find that in your family and community, I know you said that you had, you, you found your mom's weed as a kid, but what was, what, what were you seeing around like the stigmatization of cannabis? Yeah, I'm, like I said that story because I don't, I don't, my mom doesn't approve of my cannabis consumption. And yeah, she doesn't approve of it it all. She, she does not think I should consume it all. Um, But this is also a person who has never recommended I go to therapy and probably would not admit that I was depressed as a child starting eight. So I say all that to say, um, I've dealt with the, you know, I have a black parent and your black parents want you to do all the right things. They want you to be safe. And so I don't think they, I don't think she wanted to talk about cannabis consumption, even though my dad was growing cannabis and she was consuming cannabis from 16 to 60. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she's over 60. <laughs> <laughs> so she had a change of heart. Right, change of heart. So I say all that to say, I, you know, I don't have support from my family when it comes to uh, cannabis consumption, although my, I have a stepfather who is Jamaican and Rasta, and so cannabis is a part of their culture and religion, and so it's not even a question. And my my father in Ethiopia is also a big believer. He's also a Rasta, actually, in many ways, um, but he also believes cannabis is medicine as well. And so with them, there is support in some. There's no judgment or shame, but you know, with my mom and I think even my sisters. There is some, there is shame because it's rooted in, I started to go to therapy. I got a medical marijuana card. I had to be diagnosed with anxiety and PTSD. And if the big sister in the family has these problems, quote unquote problems, then the family has problems. And now we're not going to pretend anymore. And now you have to actually ask me, why am I consuming why am I consuming in this way? What's going on? Or maybe what's wrong? And that forces other people to have to stop pretending. But that interacts with their, that combats with their identity that relies on us pretending. Yeah. So that's what I've been actively going through. I started therapy two years ago. I think I have two of my sisters now in therapy. My mom's still not in it. And finally, having conversations with my sisters about the, the mental un- instability, the, the, the problems in our family, the generations, the generations of light-skinned people. And I am now the first dark-skinned African baby because my mother got with an African man twice. 
but we're not talking about the colors. We're not talking about grandma being the bread, not breadwinner, but fighting to be a successful black woman in Philadelphia when white people don't want her to be successful. We're not working through that trauma or the trauma of my father being an immigrant and going through a refugee camp after the Red Sea in Ethiopia where they're killing kids. And now he's in the U.S. trying to live out some American dream that don't want him here unless it's some white lady in Santa Cruz who wants to hook up with him and have a coffee baby. So my journey into cannabis is medicine. It's now uncovering these things in our family that we have to confront. And I'm from the family where the conversation gets a little too deep and we probably gonna blame it on the society and the white man. I'm not doing that no more because there's a lot of sickness very close to me. And I'm also learning this is not something new. Everybody else's family is dealing with the same thing. Every time a new person is elected, you let go of your family members, but you're mad at some imaginary culprit. The culprit is right next door to you. Deal with that before you can deal with anybody, anything else. So I've come, I'm combating a lot of stuff. And that's why I talk about the shame that mm-hmm. comes with cannabis because it's not fair. You don't get to shame me when we get to celebrate when we get new jobs at the bar. When I joined the Cannabis Accelerator Program, our mix and mingle is at a bar, and we get free alcohol tickets. Meanwhile, my grandmom and grandpa died of alcohol. My mom is traumatized because both of her parents were alcoholics. Are we going to address that triggering situation? Yeah. Yeah. That's extremely triggering. I didn't grow up with alcohol because my mom's parents were alcoholics, and it traumatized her. That's why we're so alternative. But everything around me is encouraging of alcohol. So when I came back to Philadelphia and I had people judging me, black, white, whatever color about my cannabis consumption, oh, she's out there smoking. Y'all are drinking Red Bulls and beers all day. I, I don't, what are you talking about? Yeah, it's, well, it's, it's, it's stigma and, and placement of things and, and, and shit. I mean, it kind of, it does, it goes back to just some of the things you were saying earlier, like people not being able to unpack their trauma and, and let's you know, and having the discussion about sometimes things that are prohibited, it's not because there's a lot of things that have been made legal that aren't good for us, and there are a lot of things that have been prohibited that are not bad for us, and maybe we need to be having those conversations. Yeah, let's have the real conversation. Don't judge me about my cannabis consumption. Ask me how my lungs are doing. Right. Right. <laughs> because if I had my cannabis and tea all day, you wouldn't know what was going on. What are you talking about? And your doctor and your lawyer and your judge are all taking 50 pills a day. So shut. I, I just, I'm not having, I can't even debate. I'm not having a debate with a person who takes Adderall every day just to be able to get their job done. I don't need that. I, and I'm saying that from a place of all the people who take Adderall and they don't need it. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I'm, I'm being really real because the doctor diagnosed you with something that you didn't actually even have. That's what I'm actually starting to talk, to talk about. And many of these behavioral issues are because of home. It's not like, let's talk about it. Nurture versus nature. It's nurture. People are not being nurtured. Well, we can definitely see that in today's climate. There has a, there's, there's a lot of people who weren't nurtured that are causing chaos in our country now. Yeah. But I mean, come on. how you got little kids shooting up people? I know. Come on. Why are we lying and saying alcohol is not making people lose their minds and escape? Why are we doing that? Why are we doing that? Money. It's not fair. And I, I'm, 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 I have a friend who joined the military and he said, you know, I couldn't smoke weed because I joined the Air Force, but that they make you an alcoholic. It's he, real shit. Yeah, it's you know, I, 
Oh, excuse my French. It just pisses me off. Oh, you can say whatever you want. Don't you worry. <laughs> Ooh, it's just I don't want to debate it. It's like I, I was in Hawaii. I got in trouble in high school for having or college for having a, like a glass pipe with me. It's probably why I smoke blunts now because I don't like ever having a pipe with me because you can get in trouble for having paraphernalia. And I got suspended in-house suspension. My friend who went to LinkedIn, same situation. Gets a thousand dollar fine from the police. Gets arrested. Can't pay the fine. Gets kicked out of school. You have a HBCU would allow white cops on a campus to arrest black students, and you call this a safe space? Now he's traumatized. Now he goes into the Air Force, and all they want to do is drink, drink, drink. People got guns in their hands. When are we gonna admit that? I, I just, it's, I don't. It's like I'm not, I'm not debating. And I think a lot of people in the cannabis space who align with me, they're not debating. Right. That's why I'm here. I'm not debating this. I'm not playing games with you. I know the truth. Let's keep moving on. This is not mock trial. We're not in a court of law. I'm not playing the games. It's truth or not truth. Yeah. And until you're put in a force in a situation where your loved one or your baby is struggling to live and breathe, you're not going to understand what I'm saying. And I don't wish that on you. So get out of my way. I don't wish harm for you to have um, an enlightened moment. Yeah, it's well, I mean, it's, it's, it's not up to you to enlighten people. You have, you have a much bigger job to do. (laughs) (laughs) Truth be told. (laughs) And that's, I guess that's where I found the BDBC journey has been. It's, it's, it's so crazy when you, I say this, when you go into spaces where you're a founder and you're looking for money and investors, they'll say like, don't align yourself with the business. But then they'll say it's all about your story and align your personal story with the business to get these investors. <laughs> and it's this crazy balance of trying to balance business goals and people's expectations and also doing the work and also being connected to it. Because somehow this is a healing. I think everything is the potential has the potential of healing. So how do you navigate that? My team members. I, I have been able to build a community of team members that understand my perspective and where I'm coming from and where we hope to go so that when I need validation or clarity about where we're going and how we're going to do it, I just have some people I can talk to that I can trust, that we can, you know, be each other's advocates and, and, and sounding boards. Um, it's the community. It's the community. And it's like a constant reasserting of it of who we are why we're here gratitude it's crazy too to think about how often you would be thanking a person (laughs) (laughs) and like acknowledging what they're giving you you know and how they're showing up but that's what it's been that's what has helped me so now i'm actually able to like lean on some team members that we can trust and i think about that guest in a way of like family that's what family should be the people that you can lean on and, and remind you of who you are and what your values are and what matters most when all these obstacles and distractions are coming your way. Yeah. Yeah. What, when we were talking earlier about um, just the political environment and the impact it's had on families, I don't know about you, but for me, as I've gotten older, I've, I've embraced the, the concept of chosen family people that just just because you share blood doesn't necessarily you can love them but it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be they're going to have your back and they're going to share your beliefs but you can have this chosen family that do 
and you support each other and there's a there's a soul and heart connection and i think that especially you know in, in this time it's like we need more of that yeah it's hard it's like what you you, you saying that is like a very I didn't believe that at first before, but now at this point in my life where I'm setting boundaries and understanding what is safe versus what is harmful, mm-hmm. uh, I'm learning what that means. And I, I mean, I, I say that with such grace, like when someone's so close to you, can you can be harmful. If, if you want to keep yourself safe, you have to do something that's the hardest thing you've ever done. It's like, have to like recreate your identity like recreate who you are um and do it on your own without a rule book like there's no dna just to say okay you're connected so now you have to go out in the world and identify these people based on what your values are what matters to you and you have to be grounded in your gut first before you go out and collect you know these people yeah in so many ways um and so the this journey in the cannabis space it's so crazy too how it is it has led me to learn how to do that. I don't know if this will be my forever family and my forever industry. Who knows? I may stop consuming one day, but I would have to like not be black or white people would have to stop being racist. So I don't know how that's possible. Or maybe I will learn some divine, you know, skill that helps me manage my emotions in the face of Babylon. Um, but until then, I'm learning how to create community that supports me and is not harmful to others. That's, I mean, that's where it's at. And that's, is that, that's, I mean, let's, let's talk about, let's go into some of the things that you've been doing. Like I, I want to talk about black dragon breakfast club, but I also, and and that really like what we've been talking about segs into that. But before we do that, because I don't want to forget When I was looking at your bio, I noticed that you were the first female black owned dispensary opened in L.A. When did when did you do that? And what was your experience around that? Well, that never happened. I don't know why that gets in my bio. Oh, that's weird. Well, we got. Yeah, this is the second time it got in my bio and I don't know why it gets in my bio every time. (laughs) But I think it's like an affirmation. I don't know. This is funny. I don't talk about it with somebody else. And I was like, why does this keep coming up? But no, nope, I never done that. Never had a dispensary. Well, you know, you saved yourself a world of headaches. <laughs> well, that's such a great point too, because one one of the biggest things I say with my team members is like trying to get information out to our community. And so often people are sold this this idea to get a dispensary, and I just see it as such a it's a great idea. But let's teach our people how to, you know be successful in, in a way that is obtainable. I get, I, I, and I don't mean to like, maybe that's my own insecurities of I don't think I'll ever really get a dispensary because I see it, the challenges of it, but I just believe there's so many other things that we can be doing to support this industry other than the dispensary. Yeah, well. I, I agree. I mean, I don't, I don't think you have to have a brand or a dispensary to, to be impactful and to be able to to have a space here honestly like you know through the years people have asked me when I would start my own and I was like you gotta be kidding me never (laughs) (laughs) never it's just it's it's I mean you want to make an impact you just you're just going to get stuck in compliance land and you know 
having to just deal with all the issues that you deal with in any other industry, but you don't have the same tax write-offs. It's it's just it's a it's a headache. Yeah, I mean, I have a business, you know, and I I see the challenges of it being associated with cannabis, and I'm always like, what am I doing? <laughs> why did I do it that way? <laughs> what is, why did I do it that way? And so. Yeah, it is hard. It is hard. The only reason I'm doing it is because so many of these other spaces don't want me. Yeah. They don't want me. Even though they say they do, they don't want my my black voice, self, integrity, love, and life. They don't. They only want it sometimes. So i got to create a space that wants me and people like me. Well, you are creating your seat at the table, or are you creating your own table with the Black Dragon Breakfast Club? Yeah. We are. We are. And just learning and navigating and being able to create a space where my team members also can navigate their own personal journey. Mm-hmm. Oh. We only bring folks that have a relationship with cannabis in some way, even if they don't consume, they want to understand the industry and the people because they align with so many things in the industry. Um, that matters to us. Yeah, you know, your intention in the work because the intention will help you navigate the hard times. It will give you the the desire for reconciliation in tough moments, um, and it will give you the understanding when you understand this is part of my story. You know, this is part of my actual trauma, so this does matter to me. And that, and that goes the same for when I'm doing organizing campaigns. I just told someone, you know, hey, I know you want me to go on the field and do this in this state, but this is so close to home. That that's actually too triggering, and I'd rather be on the end where I prepare canvassers because this work matters. So I want to be able to set the campaign up for success. Um, I'm not just a Democratic Party trying to get answers from voters. I'm the Black woman that is suffering. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wanted to go back to when you were talking about working with people, including people who don't necessarily consume. I think that that's, that's a really important thing to mention because there's a huge difference between somebody who doesn't consume but understands the positive impact that it has on people and wants to support that because you know it's not for everybody not everybody can can metabolize phytocannabinoids but it, one of the and I think that this even goes beyond cannabis it just even like with some of the things that we're seeing in our government and politics where they're trying to actually <laughs> cancel people's existence and it's like just because it's not for you doesn't mean it's bad. Now, I have a whole different thing with people coming into cannabis just wanting to make money, but they're like, oh, I don't touch the stuff. That's a whole different thing. <laughs> but well, yeah. It, no, what were you going to say? I was, just interrupted you. No, no, I'm just going to, you're absolutely right. Like, it's funny because I appreciate what you said because for me, I'm like, well, yeah, we let some people who don't consume, but. I trust them and I we ask the right questions yeah. <laughs> because it, it is this thing of like we are in alignment in so many ways and that's just the one thing we don't align with but that is actually it's beautiful because while we're doing all this work in the cannabis space our consumption only comes up if we choose to consume on a call together mm-hmm. or if we're talking about a particular article or issue or topic that requires us to pull our personal experience like the rest of it is business running an organization, meeting deadlines, planning. Like, we're a group of productive, successful, creative-minded professionals. 
what we do in our personal life is something, um, but we respect each other's personal lives. And out of the 20 things that make us who we are, one of them have to be happen to be cannabis, and I don't need those to be in common with you. And so mm, I like, I don't mind having people out who don't consume it really because it comes down to like the alignment and i will point out the person one of the, my team members who doesn't consume they're part of for example like the queer community um and they're amazing like artists uh and so compassionate those three qualities are in full alignment <laughs> yeah you can't get enough of that right in the cannabis space so i can't why would i not let that person in um at all and i always say to people like i need more people from all the other industries to join in it's why i started black dragon breakfast club and why i focus on changing the perception and sometimes it's hard to find money in that it's why i focus on kind of doing the marketing work for free for everybody <laughs> like i'll just i'll just do a brand awareness campaign for free <laughs> and y'all can all get my memes and my quotes and my ideas because the industry needs it and what are we going to be a bunch of ants trying to be the biggest flying ants we're going to come together. You know what I mean? It's like, so I'll, I'll have my organization do this and we'll figure it out. And let's bring as many people who just understand business, infrastructure, society, growing progress to come on and support us and be a part of this movement. If you consume or not. Yeah, we need everybody on board. It's, it's so important. And I think part of, you know, this is just like educating people because, like we were discussing earlier, the stigma is really strong. It creates shame. People don't understand, you know, that that's all a construct. And that actually, like, when I teach my history of cannabis class, I always get really wide eyes when I start breaking down the fact that, you know, it has to do with one, greed, which is what <laughs> creates yeah. so many of our problems, including racism. You know, and it's it's it was greed. It was racism. It was manipulating society to create an end result and we we've been under that for so long and that's especially like when I'm working with with seniors of course there are a lot of really cool seniors because you know they grew up in the 60s they probably some of them didn't stop using cannabis come on now let's just look at that right Right? we girl come on now let me show you what we really do I value my quirky elders, man. They, I learned so much, so much. But then you you have people who you know fed into the stigma, and then they get into later in life, and they start having issues that pharmaceuticals aren't helping. And as last ditch effort, sometimes they turn to cannabis. And there, it's it's amazing, like the shame and the stigma that you have to unpack with people. And then they get the relief and they're like, oh, my God, this was being held for me. <laughs> and then they become an automatic going... advocate. Yeah. Well, and I think it really changes the way you look at the world because you're like, if this has happened with cannabis, what else has this happened with? That's, that's it. The, the light bulb kind of goes off. And that's why I believe it's an organizing conversation. I, I don't know how many times I've been asked to participate in something. And I need to spend about 30 to an hour to organize them on the same page. I'm not even doing nothing with you unless I make sure we're on the same page. Yeah. That's a lot of heavy lifting. But it's got to be done because that's what community is, right? That's like the intro. That's like me and you. We started this convo. Let's actually get on the same page first before we start creating together. Yeah. Exactly. It's very grounding, too. 
<laughs> right? You know what I mean? I mean, imagine doing that with our family members. Imagine doing that with every every moment. It's that check-in, right? It's a check-in. It's a true check-in. A present. Where 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 is my presence right now? Yeah. And I could say that mm, the ritual of cannabis consumption, in a way, shows us that. Is is a small peek into that because many of us consumers know that feeling of we get grounded with that person and then we do the work. That's what we call the rising grind. The morning time, wake up before you get out there in the world, you kind of get grounded and then you go. And for some people, they need cannabis because of these, you know, outside forces and all the things. Some people, some people, they go to sleep and wake up and feel refreshed and others, they carry the trauma of their 30 something years of life when they wake up. Yeah. And it's with them when they wake up and they're expected to operate. Others, go to bed with it and cannot go to sleep because of the burdens of their day and their past. Others don't want to take Advil, Motrin, and Midol. I remember my stomach burning, <laughs> the lining of my stomach burning in college in Hawaii because I was taking too many Midol. Oh, yeah, that'll rip your guts up. But nobody's talking about it. <laughs> Nothing. No, no shocking at all. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, every person with those, uh, you know, organs, reproductive organs, will go through this more than likely. <laughs> but we don't have some law put in place to protect the safety of our bodies and the care that is required. Ah, interesting. Yeah, that's my... Uh... My husband had a show this weekend. He's a musician, and he's he never he he gets a little political sometimes. Then he's like, "Okay, that's it. That's it for the politics tonight, everybody." But um, he was he was getting into some of the things that have been happening recently, and he was like, "You know what they call animals that don't have control over their own bodies? Livestock." Oh, and everybody was like, "There were people like," and he's like, "You know," and. <laughs> He's like, I, I really believe that we have to, to look at, you know, the autonomy of human beings and what they are and aren't allowed to do, <laughs> especially when we're looking at women. And it's, it's heavy. It's heavy. And, and people are tired and they don't want to talk about it, but we gotta, because if we don't, we're going to be worse off. I mean, it's exhausting. And, and when we're looking at cannabis, like we were talking about, you know, using it to help with, you know, I think like as human beings, we're constantly striving for homeostasis and cannabis can be a part of that if our if it works for our bodies. But one thing I've noticed is that those of us who, who use it to create homeostasis, a lot of us are coming from a place of trauma and anxiety. And it's actually helping us work with it and clear that out and, and get to another level. Yes. All day, every day. And if you don't admit that part, I, I don't know. I was the person that was all into positive toxic, like a uh, toxic positivity. I had no idea. Oh my gosh. I had no idea what I was doing. I had no idea. Cannabis was even medicine. I had no idea. I was self-medicating myself. I had no idea. I was depressed. I was told it was a mood. I used to have eczema as a kid, even though I was a vegetarian and super healthy. I was told these things were just, oh, you're just not eating right. You're just, there's so many different things there. Um, and, and we are managing PTSD. And, and that's a, 
when you're trying to be successful and at the top of the class, you don't want PTSD, especially when we know how the medical industry has treated women and black women, black people. You don't want to be given a label. Even to this day, mental health is not a safe place for people. And I know that firsthand, they are not coming up with ways to manage and help people. They're giving them pills. And I'm not debating that. It is murder. Our Western medicine is not is murder. And yeah. I'm not I'm not I'm not debating it with nobody. You can talk about all the great things that y'all did, figure out a cure to cancer or get out my face. And I'm tired of y'all pretending like it ain't the food that people are eating and the stress that's causing them all these issues. Stop playing with me, Western medicine. Don't play with me, Thomas Jefferson and all the hospitals here and all the research institutes here in Pennsylvania. Yeah, we got this many sick black people. We have a minimum wage of seven twenty five in Pennsylvania. And people wonder why they're struggling. That's the federal minimum wage. Meanwhile, the state is promoting come here and work here. I'm not debating and I'm not playing with these. I'm not playing with these folks. Yeah. We got a whole city that's sick. We about to go into election to hire to get a new mayor. And all we want to talk about is gun control. This was an issue before. Stop playing with me, y'all. Stop. Our media chooses to talk about things when and when we don't. Philadelphia is a ghetto when we want it to be. And Philadelphia is the greatest place when we want it to be. Stop playing with me, y'all. And I mean this from this place of, like, we got to stop pretending. I'm not, if we can have kids go and shoot up kids at a school, dude, we have a critical crisis going on. Yeah. We have a critical crisis going on. And we can't shame each other for finding ways to medicate ourselves when you have a minimum wage that's seven twenty five and a cost of living that's damn near $25, $30. It's not adding up. And most of our black men are in jail. And we call the war on drugs <laughs> criminals. They just wanted jobs and peace of mind. And we watch a show talking about white people consuming pills and they say, oh, these people were sick. And you call black people criminals. Fix it. If you don't start fixing it, I'm not playing with y'all. You hire, you bring a Trump president and we don't got family members uh, getting up in people's faces every day about the fact we got a weird president that created a whole army of terrorists. I'm, I'm not pretending. And I say this from a place of a person who was on the toxic positivity and I thought cannabis was recreational, and I was trying to be a good girl, human organizer, call me Angela Davis. I'll do the right thing, and I'll be the best employee, and I'll work at the creative startup for free for two years because I believe it, and I'll be all the little kids' friends and, and, and all of that, trying to be all that. Not from a savior place, but just from a place of, they, they said, if you do it this way, you can change the world. And the world needs to be changed, so I'll go out there and I'll fight this fight. Because if, if that's all we need, no problem. I want peace for myself and for everyone else. So I say that to say, as I've been in this cannabis journey, it's teaching me to don't, you don't have to pretend to, yeah, I use cannabis to help me because this world is sick and I'm trying my best and my hardest to show up without harming others and, and also protecting myself. So I'm going to honor cannabis, period. And I'm going to do what I have to do because this is my industry. And this plant helps me survive this space just the same way as I'm a singer and a producer. That's why I worked at a startup for two years for free, because I believe in creatives becoming entrepreneurs. So if that's all we need is somebody to go and commit and do the work, I'll do it. That's why BDBC exists. That's why we do everything that we do. Because if we need somebody to do it, we'll do it. If you need community, we're here. I'm here. Don't You can't say that you ain't have no organization and no person and no fighter or some person to help it help fight the charge for free or for charge. 
You can't say that. And I'm not blaming no white man that I don't ever met on the problem either. Because that's something I can't control. Yeah. Yeah. You have to, you have to be at where you can actually make a difference. Otherwise you're wasting your energy. But I mean, that's the thing is going back to like, when you were talking about Philly and, you know, the differing, like depending on the day, like what people are saying about it and what's going on in communities. And it's like, how can you, how can you judge the apple when the barrel's rotten? I mean, uh, it's frustrating that like you say you can't find people to work. You just don't want to hire the black folks. You say there's crime here. Look at our schools. Watch Abbott Elementary. It's about Philadelphia. Stop playing with me. Stop playing with me. Where's the money for the school? Why do we have parades? I don't even know why y'all celebrating Fourth of July. Go put the money in the school. Until you accept that that is wrong, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. And I need the white progressives to go talk to the white conservatives and go candle your shit. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I hope more of that happens. I feel like it's been really ineffective, really ineffective. And, you know, I keep hoping that, oh, maybe they're, they're pulling something together on the sidelines. They don't want anyone to know, but it's just getting scarier and scarier. No, people are just not taking accountability. That's all. I'm not, I'm not, I, I used to be the person that speaks up in the workplace, right? I'll be the martyr. I realized I should be the last person. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I don't see race so much that I forgot I'm a black girl. A dark-skinned black girl that's confident, that believes in herself. I'm the enemy of the state. But I'm you, a fucking enemy of the state. You made a switch. You yeah. went. You went from being the canary in the coal mine to leading, and that's a huge step. Yeah, and starting with myself, right? Leading with my truth. Yeah. Leading with my truth, and that's part of why I talk like this. Who I, you know, the energy that comes out of me. Um, yeah. Well, we, when we're looking at Black Dragon Breakfast Club, what are some of the things that you're doing that are, that are just, you're, they're filling your heart and you're really excited about? Mm. Oh, man. Well, besides creating a space for folks interested in being entrepreneurs and professionals, like literally creating a work environment where they can work with me. Is it like an incubator? Yeah, I, I mean, without it being an incubator and all the things that call it once. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's rooted in incubation. It's rooted in I'm a coach, and so I've I've always I've been an accountability coach to 500 creatives in Philadelphia. Um, as a labor organizer, I'm a leader, so I coach volunteers to become leaders. Um, so that's what I do with my team members, right? You want to be a content writer? Well, we're going to create opportunities for you to show off. And for you to improve, and I'm going to teach you how to write copy um, that speaks to the customer, and we're going to get it right. <laughs> uh, and we're going to work how to be a team. We may not be making all the money, but we're going to learn how to be a team and respect each other. Um, and for my queer team members, we're going to do activations that speak to your community, and you're going to lead it. And I'm going to provide my insight to support you. So, yeah, it's an incubator. Um, because, like I said, I worked at a startup where it was also some helping creatives become entrepreneurs. It's like a gym membership for creatives. So I've brought that. I've brought that. And even an organizer, I'm taught to identify potential leaders and develop their leadership so they can be just like me. That's what I feel like has been the most 
that's the ethos of BDBC. I try my best. Whoever knows about BDBC, whoever feels they are part of the Dragon community, you understand things in a way that I understand them. That is universal. That is rooted in certain types of values, so that we can operate with one another. Um, and it's always also into, in, in our entrepreneurship. Um, Mm, I've been in startups and work environments where it was about the leader. It was about the founder. It was about the, the that person that we want to highlight. And everyone else gets walked on. And everyone else is just a bystander. And I don't think that's sustainable in the work environment anymore. I don't think we can just be employees or just Americans. We need to be leaders. Yeah. So I need my team members to be leaders. I don't have an organization with a bunch of money that we can just spend and waste. And I didn't create an organization to just do stuff that we just play because we want to, I don't know, be on the face of an Instagram page. I don't have those resources or those times. I want to start a family one day. So everything that we're doing now has to be intentional and rooted in like a long-term growth plan in some way. So the incubation for my team members and the people we come in contact with, absolutely, because it's always rooted in our why. We are committed. My team members has dealt with the war on drugs with their close family members and works through this shame and trauma on a regular basis. The same as my other team members, a regular basis understanding what cannabis, understanding that cannabis is medicine and diving into their relationship and their shame and navigating finding workspaces and work environments in this industry that speaks to them because we've created a safe space in our work environment. They like that safe space. They now want to find other spaces that replicate that. Yeah. That's been a huge impact huge impact for me and I say that because those are the things that are more long term I wish I could do more of that with community but I don't have resources and I say that from a place of I made the mistake of making my business very cannabis related so it kind of limited my ability to get certain funds and different things I've invested my money into this and I say that I, I'm doing this all with a grain of salt I was rooted in ethnic studies and advocacy I am a martyr I work for free that's where I was rooted in I recently got an MBA from Lincoln University over the past five years where I now have to take a stance of looking to the money. And I'm desperately trying to do that without hurting people the way I've been hurt in all my labor organizing jobs and taking advantage of and used. I'm trying my hardest not to repeat that. So that's where I feel I, I care most about because in terms of events and different things and even the influence that I've, the, the influence I've had on, we've had like, you know, digitally, I don't feel like it's enough. It's just, it's, it's the best I can do. And I also know that it's not sustainable. I, I, I see myself like I can't just give myself, I've got to get more people, but I've got to make sure that they have jobs and they're able to get their things paid for. And I, I never want to resemble any of the trauma from their old work experiences. So I just try to share all of this with them because I know all we can do is just try to communicate and go day by day, project by project, with the hopes that we're building a long lasting team so that we can bring more people and have them experience this and hopefully impact this industry and can we create a community and company that can pay us. Yeah. To do the work that we love that impacts us and ourselves. You know, so my team member doing Tough Pass Play in Oakland, they wanted to do that for their community and their partner who's part of the queer community, who's part of the gaming community that's all very white. And so it was like, well, I don't know much about gaming or Twitch, so I'm going to need y'all to teach me. <laughs> and then it became this collective thing where we're all pulling our different resources and, and just pulling it all together for the sake of mm, someone else's love for somebody and their community and wanting them to feel safe in it. So if I can find a way, I said that to my other team member, look, 
whatever you want to do that's rooted in developing you personally, as long as it speaks to our larger community, use this platform to make that happen. You know, it don't got to be just without me, BDDC. We don't, we could be a partner. We, however, let us just support you because I'm clear on, I can't do this by myself and I'm tired of being a token in spaces. I'm over it. I don't want to be. I've been a token all over the world and the country. I'm not into it anymore. Yeah, you have to be able to have your own foundation and and be able to do your work without that. That's I think one of the things that I've noticed. Like there are there are a lot of amazing activists out there that are that are doing work. It's hard. It's super hard. But to just, you know, be labeled as a black person in cannabis has to be really really frustrating and that's why i'm that's why i'm like i'm okay with saying coming to terms with i don't want to be a token anymore and and being like and i'm going to figure out a way to be at peace with my community with all the the, the mess and all the shootings in philadelphia but i don't want to be a token and i'm tired of going to these companies where i'm one of the few black women who get dogs and the only black men there are gay and i say it in that way i'm tired of it and I know too many black skilled men. Where are they getting jobs at? And I could go on a tangent. I just, um, I've also lived in Mendo, being the only black person with my white boyfriend on the farm. But I've also been to uh, Jamaica, where the Rockies are growing. <laughs> <laughs> and Hawaii, where the local kids are growing. So I know it ain't about race. I know it ain't about color. I know it ain't about ethnicity. I know it's about being a farmer, being on the land and growing and tending to your crop. And I know that the issues that we have within the black community about business and community and, and crabs in a barrel, it just it just over spills into the cannabis industry. I also know that. Yeah. Well then doing doing all the work that you do and doing a lot of it for free, yeah, how do you fill the well? Because that's really important. I mean, you've got to get paid, and you've got to be able to, to be at your best, to be able to. I mean, you're you're a steward for all these people that you're that you're working with in your organization. You're you have from the conversation that we've had. What I get out of it is that you have a very strong sense of stewardship and taking care of people and getting setting them on the right path. But you know, how does how to say I to take care of herself? through this um that's a learning lesson i'm just now learning how to be an advocate for myself i'm just now learning that i've allowed a lot of abusive relationships in my life that are very close to home that are generational and i started going to therapy i often told my team members i can't really i'm not ready to launch this membership program i did that for someone else's company before done that multiple times but i know what it requires an ability to facilitate and, and manage and be able to help people unpack. I hadn't even gone to therapy and I started Black Dragon Breakfast Club. Like, what am I doing? I didn't even unpack all my stuff. I was still on positive toxicity. I was on toxic positivity and I was still on do all these things and, rah, 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 and, and never like a really clear moment and never even really crying even. And so it's like, oh man, the level of personal work is painful. That's all I can say. It's like, and I'll say that too. I remember working at a startup and the founder, one of the co-founders was going through a lot of work with trauma. And I, I just remember my own assumptions of their journey, but also seeing they had to do a lot of personal work and thinking, wow, they had this whole organization of people, but they still got to focus on their personal work. 
And I think I thought about that. It reminded me, like, I could be a leader and I do this because I want, but this is going to have to start from within. And I might even miss some opportunities, but I got to get right with myself because I don't want to be jealous of my competitors or not jealous of my competitors, but jealous of my comrades. I don't want to be triggered by my colleagues. I don't want to be so invested in this that I'm not focusing on my personal life. Yeah. I don't want to get lost in the work. I want to be grounded. And I have not given myself an opportunity to truly get grounded um, and, and unpack some real tough stuff. So it's weird because you have to do it at the same time as building a business. And I find myself struggling. And I say, share that with my team members sometimes. Like, I just have some personal stuff. And it's funny because they're kind of like, that's good. You know, um, we don't want you. It's like a... Because I recognize that I can't be perfect and I can't present like everything is good and great. And I got to be more honest and start pretending. My, I almost feel like I'm getting more support. I get, I, I'm able to accept the support from my team members and I'm able to kind of lead by example and just being honest about things, how you're feeling and kind of be more in, in tune with the energetic stuff. Um, because I am just starting from a very, I'm coming from a very honest place of where I am. And that doesn't take away from the big boss, bad boss girl. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's a strength in that to be able to show up as yourself and lead. Yeah, but it's a discomfort, though, when you weren't allowed to do that as a kid. You were supposed to smile and, and be happy. And when most of your work environments don't allow you to be all the sides of you. And so learning how to be all of me in this space, as well as being the leader, the steward, a brand, the faith. Um, yeah, a lot. It's a constant personal work. And I, I, I went from being a really, really social person to more inward, more trying to find that peace with myself. Because um, that's what's going to help me grow this business and community into something that is safe and not harmful to others. Yeah. And it sounds like with your organization, everybody has a voice, which is amazing. I mean, you know, you think I, I worked in corporate for years and then I just couldn't do it anymore. Um, because those eight plus hours a day, just weren't really fulfilling for me. I didn't feel like I was, I was really, I was like, what I'm, I'm putting this into a machine that makes a lot of money. And then I go home and, and I always joke that I'm incredibly greedy because I want all 24 hours of my day to matter. Um, I, so I took the leap after I took a little time off just to kind of clear my head and I, I went into civil rights and one of the things, and, and, Mind you, civil rights has their own issues and their own dynamics, which I learned very quickly. Word. <laughs> you know, but one of the things I loved and, and I, I really took with me to other places that I worked was the fact that when we had our staff meetings and we talked about the docket, and we talked about everything that was going on, everyone had a say. Everyone from, you know, the admin to the legal director, we were all equal partners in it. And therefore, because we all knew that we mattered and that our voices mattered, it was all hands on deck. Yeah. Yep. That's it. That's it. That's what I do. That's how I approach the work. I find actually, mm, as I do that approach, I'm sometimes working with my team members and I need them to speak up more. I find my, I find as I take that approach, this becomes an environment for them to practice taking up more space. 
and in a way that really speaks to their personal growth and maybe not and not just the way that maybe they learned or saw if that makes sense yeah and how wonderful Uh, is that to be able to find your voice in a safe space you know without being taken advantage of even like you know sometimes my team members will say well i can do this it's like don't do that (laughs) (laughs) you'll thank me later you know what I mean? So it becomes this like working conversation. All right, look, but I want you to do it, but I don't want it to take this long because your time is too valuable. But if you choose, <laughs> it's like we're teaching each other as I'm learning boundaries, I'm teaching them boundaries. And, and with all of the goal of, I just want us to have sustainable longevity. That's all. And I, I don't want you to get to a point that six months from now, you felt like you gave too much and you didn't get it back. Yeah. You didn't get it back. I don't want you to feel like you weren't able to speak up. So sometimes my team member will say, hey, I, I want to talk about this money thing. And I want to address this something. And, you know, that puts me in an That is calling on my, my, my leadership. Okay. Am I ready to hear this and, and show up? Because this probably has something to do with my leadership. Um, and am I going to be able to hold space, keep it safe, and not be harmful? As I perhaps take a critique and go through this challenge, uh, yeah, so it's all these navigations. And I say all this to say, too, it has a lot to do with me being in other work environments and, and not having these moments of reconciliation and clarity and communication and seeing that those were the points, those pain points that got in the way of the overall, overall work. And when I go back to being an organizer, being on these campaigns, with these small things that get in the way of us doing the overall work. So if we can just work on these practical skills of showing up with each other as well as showing up for ourselves, that's just a little bit of work for personal development that will seep into other spaces because we, we know it's possible. It reminds me of like relationships with gurus and when you're in these spiritual places, it's like they give you that opportunity to be there because you get a glimpse of, of what the utopia is to know that it's even possible. So you have something that you can aim for. That isn't always represented in your, you know, typical everyday environment. Yeah. We don't always have people acting and moving from their higher selves. And we don't often have examples of what does it mean to be of our higher selves and still true to ourselves and still present and not positive, toxic positivity. (laughs) (laughs) We ain't gurus, right? But we need higher selves. And and what's the pathway to get there? Get there. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of times I think when people admire others, it's they forget that they're human beings and there's this pedestal. They hold them in this this way where when you realize that they're human, all of a sudden there's something that diminishes. And I think we have to more have more conversations about people who are present, who uplift others, who bring a lot to the world, but are still human. And we and, and some of us we consume cannabis, and for some of us, yeah, <laughs> that's the thing that makes us human. Oh my god! Truth, <laughs> truth. I I had somebody the other day on social media make a, a super nice remark, and they're like, you know, you just seem like a a really nice person who's at peace. And I sat with it for a moment because you know it's like you're like, oh, that's nice, but you know your inner workings. And I was like. <laughs> And I just, I said, thank you. <laughs> but, uh, I, you know, I like to think I'm nice. I try to be nice, but I'm also human. You know, you, probably if you mm-hmm. saw me at some moments where I was not at my prettiest, you'd be like, geez, okay, there she is. 
that's so real. That's so real. I'm, I love this kind of, mm, I love this resolve of, because that's part of what I've been working through is the pretending versus the people having assumptions and perceptions about me that, that don't align with me being human. Yeah. What do you expect of me? <laughs> yeah. What I mean, what do you expect of me? And the only way I'm able to show up here with this smile is actually because of this cannabis right here to just calm my nerves. Because I was about to call you some crazy names, but I didn't want to ruin my future. So. <laughs> <laughs> hey, rumor has it you levitate. Look. <laughs> you know, it's the same way, like, with music, right? But I can't just bust out in a song <laughs> any moment. Um, I can't recreate that moment in the studio just like that. And so, yeah, sometimes I, I need something that's quick and fast acting because I'm trying to accept the fact that my city doesn't want me or my job hires me for, my, for who I am and then fires me for who I am or because my loved ones are going through so much trauma that they just can't show up for themselves. Yeah, Ugh. I am not as perfect as you think, my friend. Give me some grace. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's real. That's, um, I, I've been kind of reflecting on that about, you know, you hear a lot about people talking about cancel culture and I mean, truth that there's, there are people who are really, um, crappy who really shouldn't be given a platform, but we, we, and sometimes we take it far because I mean, there are some really good people out there that just have bad days. And they are human. Yeah, yeah no, I mean, I'm going to be honest, y'all. My mom has bad days all the time. And I've learned very close, very, very early on. And I'm still learning that um, people struggle. People yeah, they do. truly struggle to, uh, for people who tend to be harmful and have a pattern of being harmful to others, it's hard. And I'm only saying that because I have someone really close to me that I know struggles with that based on my experiences. Um abuse in various ways is very generational and it's part of our society. America is abusive to its citizens. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just want to, I'm just going to acknowledge, I just want to leave it there. And so, yes, we do have to give each other grace. I give my, the closest loved ones grace all the time and I see their challenges. Um, yeah. I mean, you can call me a nigga all day. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you were raised by some racist parents that told you that that was okay, I get. I rather. I would have. I really want to just understand why you do it. Actually, I rather know why you do it than you did it because you're just a baby. I I see a lot of people as their inner child selves, right? You know, because it doesn't take rocket science to know what is good and what is bad. <laughs> yeah. But I see those things as like sicknesses in some way, and I don't think we can have compassion for people's sicknesses until we recognize our own sicknesses and and recognize how hard it is for us to heal our own sicknesses. Will we will we really understand how hard it is to get a person who is hateful to love? Yeah, yeah, I that's a challenging thing. It's um when you have to kind of stop and reflect and kind of stick your fingers in that that sensitive, sore, vulnerable spot in your own body and sit with it and be like, uh. Oh, and I, and I know I'm a person that's not, I'm not a person that, that owes a bunch of people apologies. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, a, I didn't know that because I'd be going back to people. Well, let me apologize. What can I apologize for? Like, 
what can I work on? You know, I'm not that person. So I can only imagine those who owe so many people apologies, how far, how uncomfortable, like you said, and painful, like when they go into that, that space deep down inside of them. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, as women, we are in many ways, our our culture sets us up for almost apologizing for our existence, which is something that I'm really mindful of as an older woman these days. Like, when I say that, I'm like, oh, my God, I just called myself an older woman. <laughs> I was like, oh, she's an older woman. Oh, you know, a woman of a certain age. <laughs> I'm thinking like, well, how old is that? Because I'm, uh, okay, well, how many years is I? <laughs> I'll tell you if you tell me. <laughs> I know, I didn't say my number. I was just like, oh, don't say that number either. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, women of a certain age have experienced things, and you either don't take any crap anymore, or you keep perpetuating your own myth. Mm. Yeah, and I'm feeling good about being around these folks who don't play that no more, and they don't perpetuate their myth anymore. I don't. I I'm inspired by those folks, and I'm I'm here looking to learn from these folks. Yeah, I hear that. Well, I mean, it's a it's a it's a it's a it's a fertile place to grow because you know you may not always agree, and things may not always be pretty, but you know what you you know that you're two people or how many people you're working with that are doing the best that they can. You're connecting and you're learning from each other. I just find it really inspiring when people are real. And even when like, and I have, I have some friends that are a little crotchety crusty where every so often it's like, bam. And I'm like, Ooh, Ooh. (laughs) (laughs) I'll sit with that for a minute. (laughs) Same. I, I know what you mean, right? Like, intergenerational the intergenerational connections and lessons and and learnings are really cool because i say the same thing about the younger folks too yeah um all day every day just down to like if i hold a baby it brings it back to my heart Um, it it brings out that tenderness so yeah the intergenerational connections and learnings uh mm -hmm. yeah oh yeah i know with with younger generations it's like i i love i love mentoring but i learn so much it could be because, you know, it's like you, I remember like watching like, you know, my mother or people of her generation or even older. And, and there are some people who like are continuals, like students of the world where they're curious about everyone and everything. But there's a lot of us that just kind of stop and it's like we're stuck in our own generation. And I'm, like, I'm not going to just listen to the music that I grew up with in high school. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> you know? I'm an artist. Like, what do you mean? I, I, I totally agree. Like, I'm so into the intergenerational. I think there's so much to learn from younger. I'm like the, I like to know, literally, my younger sister who's 10, I mean, 10 years younger than me, and um, and folks 15, all of it. I'm fascinated. Tell me what you know. What did you learn? Even learning how to manage and deal with my mother through my younger sisters was one of the first lessons of, like, what I can learn from younger people. Wow, you, you had a different perspective and approach. Therefore, the relationship is different. The charm is all the same. The relationship is different. Hmm. Thank you for that. Yeah. Uh, and, and it goes on and on and on. And if we could have some of this intrigue when it comes to other people um, and cultures and ages uh, and just living in a different town, I'm just interested in your experience. So 
that then makes me think about the work that you do and amplifying it. Because as an organizer, right, it's identifying volunteers. And then the real truth is turning them into spokespersons and then paying PR companies to make sure your political campaign is successful. But <laughs> at the root, it's the amplifying of the story so that people can hear and relate and feel connected and not feel like they're the only one. And that's something that you do. And I see myself doing that with BDBC, even just through my team members, making sure that their journey is amplified through the work. Um, it's not just my experience. It's our experience and our collective experience. The uniqueness of it is also the, the sameness, what brings us together every day. Yeah. Now, if if people want to get involved or reach out or just even learn more about what you do, how would they do that? Yeah, we're online. Just um, Honestly, if you want to type out our long name, Black Dragon Breakfast Club, info will pop up, but our website is www.shopblackdragons.com. We have another site that's linked to that, and if you want to know why, it's all about navigating uh, having a cannabis industry <laughs> in the wonderful world of the internet. Um, but if you go to our website, www.shopblackdragons, you'll also find a a quiz, a dragon quiz. And so we've had our quiz up for several years now, and it's just your opportunity to share your story, your relationship with cannabis. Sometimes we'll amplify it, sometimes we won't. Um, if you don't want to amplify it, you don't have to share it. But it just helps me gather information, our team gather information about the folks who want to be a part of our community, want to share their story. I'm constantly learning about, I'm learning and I'm learning where we're going um, from the people that are with us and that have been with us in the journey. Uh, so it's kind of this feedback loop. Um, so I encourage folks to share your story, um, reach out to us if there's some way you want to work with us. I'm always open to take on interns. We always have a three-month grace period. And so for those who are interested in getting the industry, I recommend just like any other, you know, path, career pathway, get an internship. And you can get one with us. And it's not about using <laughs> you. It's a, it's a synergy. It's a relationship. And, and it's going to be rooted in your goals as well as our, you know, overall objectives. Uh, so, yeah, uh, definitely find us and we're a community of dragons. Are there any other ways that we can support you? Yeah, I mean, we have events regularly. Um, just sign up on our newsletter and we'll let you know what you know what's going on. And of course, we do community events and different activations. We're always looking for partners and sponsors. Uh, this work comes from us and the cannabis industry is very new. And we do the work that every company needs, the education, the brand building, the community um, building and, and collective. And so we can help you do that. Uh, and you can trust you've got a, a diverse team. I don't tell people we do DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion, because it's a given. <laughs> it's just rooted in who we are. Um, that's the least you're going to get. Uh, but if you're looking for a team to grow with, um, who aligns with your values, you may be that person. And we love to partner uh, and do something you know, together, whether it be we support you in another place or perhaps some type of sponsorship where we can actually amplify the work that you're doing because it's all about our collective. That's awesome. I love it. I'm so glad that we got a chance to talk today. And I'm really looking forward to seeing what you do in the future. And you know, anytime you've got something you want to share, you're always welcome to come back to the podcast. Thank you. I'll be back when I start uh, activating our music <laughs> and the whole creative aspect of BDBC. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I would love that. I would love that. And, you know, if you're ever in Oakland, you got to come see me. Oh, please. I, I, yeah. <laughs> you don't, don't test me. Don't dare me. <laughs> don't even. <laughs>
I shall be there. I love Oakland, Alameda. I used to always say just one last thing when I moved back to Philly after I had been in Oakland and Alameda. I said, wow, Philly reminds me so much of Oakland. Interesting. And that's a whole other conversation. So I'm glad we're, we're making these connections. Oh, me too. Me too. Yeah, I have a, I have a, quite a few friends that have, uh, that have lived both here and in Philly. And it's, it's really interesting to see, like, you know, they're like, yeah. It's, there's there's a lot of similarities, and my heart's in both places. <laughs> yeah, I'm telling you. So I'm here for especially the foodie scene. So we can. There's so many things we could talk about. I'm a I'm a foodie. I'm a hospitality girl. I'm a server too. So yeah. I love it. Yeah, I'm I'm a total foodie too. You come over here. We'll have to we'll have to smoke and and go out to some good places. I'm sure you've got a few of your favorites. I definitely have some of mine. So we'll have to share some of those. You already know. <laughs> Oh, thank you so much. And for those of you out there, remember, Planted is twice a month. If you like a, a episode, share it. Share it. You know, review our episodes. I know that we have reviews on Apple Podcasts, and I think some of the other ones we do as well. So leave your review. We really want to hear from you and, you know, hear what you think. If there are guests or subjects that you want us to talk about, let me know. Because this is really about putting out that information, communicating, and really highlighting all of the great stuff and the wonderful people who are working in this industry to make it a better place to be. Because we have a unique opportunity to make a change, not only in this industry, but in the way we live life. Follow us on Planted with Sarah on IG. And Twitter, Planted with Sarah Pion on Facebook. Our website is www.plantedwithsarah.com. And of course, you can listen to us on our home network, the Radio Misfits Network. Otherwise, check us out on Spotify, iTunes, Pandora, TuneIn, Stitcher, Amazon, Apple, or Google. And remember, it's a crazy world out there. Be good to each other. Stay curious. And until next time. Sarah Pion signing out. Take care, everybody.